0: Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and
1: personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top.
0: We believe that if you focus on your own employees on on driving a very strong culture that has purpose, that culture eventually leads to a very positive customer experience. And if you get that customer equation right, typically you see higher growth and you see probability.
1: This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frandel. So welcome. How are you doing? How's your day going? Thank you for joining me. This is Episode number 103, and my guest today is David Osip. He is the chairman and chief executive officer at Ceridian, one of the fastest growing human capital management technology companies. In 2009, David founded Dayforce, which was a highly successful SaaS-based workforce management software company. And in 2012, Ceridian acquired Dayforce, and shortly after that acquisition, David was named the CEO. He led the transformation of Ceridian into an innovative cloud human capital management company. And in this episode, which was recorded on February 27, 2019, you will learn how David successfully transformed Ceridian's culture from one of survival to one of innovation. The three ways to encourage every member of the organization to communicate and embody the culture, core values of the company. And lastly, How giving up an eight-figure deal helped David grow as a business leader. This episode is brought to you by Slingshot VoIP, a leader in business voice AI technologies that help companies understand what the customers are saying when they're calling in. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Thank you to those who have left a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. This latest one from S.L., And they write, as a professional, I find this podcast so helpful. The podcast has a variety of experts and business leaders from different industries. And each episode is packed with valuable tips, actionable steps, and great discussions. Thank you, S.L. I really appreciate you, your support, and kind words. So when you do rate and leave a review, I will read it out on the next episode. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, David. Welcome to be here. Well, I'm super excited. Um, for those who are, are listening, this is actually a little bit of a short story. It was about a one year at least uh, to get you on the show. So I'm super excited to have you, David, uh, to get you into, you know, just to learn more about you and your your story. But David... I'd love it if you could share with us who you are and what you like to do when you're not growing and scaling businesses.
0: Well, uh, that's a bit of a wide question. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, first, I'm a dad. I have two wonderful kids, and uh, I'm an avid cyclist. And when I'm uh, not uh, kind of heads down at Ceridian – um, either driving carpool for my kids, taking them to their sports and activities, or I'm on a bike, usually climbing a mountain somewhere.
1: Oh, wow, that's amazing! I, I could definitely relate to the fatherhood. I although my daughter's uh, about two and a half years old, so but I do a lot of uh, quote unquote carpooling, aka going to daycare. Um, what's the last mountain you climbed with your with your bike?
0: Uh, I just came back from our presence club, which was on the big island in Hawaii this week and uh, climbed up a few of the big hills over there, which was uh, interesting.
1: Amazing. I I can't even imagine the views that you were able to take in at the time.
0: Lots of lava, lots and lots of lava.
1: That's great. Um, David, let's just jump right into it. Um, If you can share with us. Maybe a difficult decision um, that you had to make that allowed you to significantly grow as as a business leader. Maybe it was something in your earlier career, or it could be something present as well.
0: You know, if I think about the Ceridian and the Dayforce story, um, one very difficult decision that we made right at the time when we were bringing the two companies together uh, was we had won a very large prospect, a ten million dollar uh, uh, deal for a European company, and we had to make the decision whether we could uh, invest in bringing the companies together and the kind of the partnership between Ceridian and Dayforce, or whether we should do the the uh, take the large sales opportunity. And uh, we elected to focus the company on the partnership uh, a, a, instead of diverting the resources of the company to uh, implement the very, very large European customer. And, and that was very difficult, as you can imagine, back then it was probably 2011 or so, for a, a young, youngish startup company to give up an eight-figure uh, sales deal in order to focus on a partnership was very difficult.
1: That's super interesting. Talk to me about how that came about within, I guess, personally, you as the business leader of Force or how people reacted, you know, your stakeholders or your executive team when it was like, okay, you know what? Let's forego this $10 million deal. <laughs> like, 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 did you look for counsel for that? Did you lose sleep?
0: So, uh, you, know, you know, I have to go a little bit back on the story for that because I think, you know, I, I'm a, I've been a serial entrepreneur for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had started Air Force in 2009 when my non-compete from my prior company had expired. And you know, what really had happened at the last company was that I ran out of addressable market. Uh, at the prior company, we did workforce management solutions for very, very large companies. And eventually, we, we had a very you know, significant market share of workforce management in retail and uh, uh, banking and transportation and manufacturing, and we just really couldn't expand much more on that segment. And when we tried to take the tech down market, we found that it didn't really scale down because the technology requirements were too heavy for the mm-hmm. small organizations. So in uh, 2009, I had started Dayforce with the idea of using cloud technology to address this market. And because I was quite sensitive to market size, I started to look at the adjacent markets. And um, right adjacent to workforce management is payroll. And the payroll market I really found very attractive. Uh, one, it's a, a huge market, uh, you know, tens of billions. Uh, the second is that the requirements seemed to be the same regardless of the industry or the size of the customer. And from a cloud perspective, that meant you could build and deploy in a single code base and get quite nice, uh, nice scale. Uh, another characteristic I found very attractive was that the average life of apparel customers seemed to be above 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you did your LTV or CAC ratio calculations, they were very, very attractive. And then the third thing, there seemed to be like this platform play potential that if you could win a customer for payroll or for time in attendance, you could later expand to recruiting, performance, comp, and the various other types of talent modules. And by doing that, you'll just simply increase the return from each of the uh, uh, customers. So at that particular point in time, I had the decision, do I expand into payroll as day force or do I look for a partner? And um, I, I knew quite a bit about Ceridian. And the one thing about Ceridian at the time was that it hadn't had technology innovation for probably about a 20-year period. And as such, uh, there was a kind of decline in sales each year. And so I took that as an opportunity to approach the shareholders of Ceridian. And Ceridian had, uh, was a private company owned by uh, two large private equity firms. And the idea was, Ceridian buys Air Force and I take over the company and we kind of reinvent the company using the Air Force technology, redo the culture and really have focus. And so it just happened that we had won this very large uh, customer in Europe at the same time we were doing final negotiations uh, with the owners of Ceridian. And because of my sensitivity to addressable market size and realizing that you have to have focus to scale company. Um, For me, it was really a a, a clear decision. Uh, Obviously, for the team involved in the sale of the very large uh, uh, prospect, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. I I had to make the call to the customer and uh, say that we were pulling before we signed the actual contract. Uh, That that was a very difficult call to
1: make. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'd love it to it's It's an amazing story when I – when I hear and I read about Dayforce and Ceridian and, and how, you know, outside looking in, it got acquired. Ceridian was the bigger, bigger company at the time. And I'd love it if you could share with us, David, that transition. So the deal was done. I mean, how did you manage your team, your organization, which was a smaller one? And obviously, and you did talk about using the innovation, but... Eventually, you use that as a huge opportunity for you to really take Ceridian, take the leadership role as well, and and grow it to where it is today.
0: So, um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So, to me, it all it always really starts with the people, with the team, mm-hmm. and uh, we believe that if you focus on your own employees on your on driving a very strong culture that has purpose, that culture eventually leads to a very positive customer experience. And if you get that customer equation right, typically you see high growth and you see profitability. And if you look at the Ceridian Dayforce story, we're kind of a perfect example of how that is true and also really how we've been able to use our Dayforce technology to drive culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we brought the two companies together, The first thing that I did was I went around to all of the various offices, and we had about 5,000 employees or so, and I was trying to understand the culture of the organization. And What I really found was that within Ceridian, there was a culture of survival Uh, because, as I mentioned, the sales had been declining at the time. Uh, by about 10-15% per year, the response of the owners was really to reduce the workforce each year to keep the EBITDA or the profitability levels where they needed to be from a debt perspective. And that left people really concerned about their jobs. So what we did is we created a new brand promise for the organization, and we chose Makes Work Life Better. So, the idea that anyone who would use our products or services, their work life would be improved, whether you were the CEO or whether you were a frontline worker. And then, around that, we specifically chose values that helped us uh, deliver on that promise. And we were very specific in the values that we chose. So, we chose things like um, optimism. For optimism, we defined it as uh, optimism is a planned behavior. It starts with careful preparation, and that preparation leads to knowledge, and that knowledge creates confidence, and that confidence leads to success, and success is reason for optimism. And then we then we further would clarify. We'd we'll say if you're optimistic but you're not properly prepared, that you haven't done the diligence, well then you're 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 an idiot. You're not going to be successful. Yes. And um, we, the, the creating of that brand really uh, served as an anchor to align everyone t- together and to attract some very strong people into the organization. And we also found that it resonated really nicely uh, with our customer base. And the results have been great. I mean, since the, uh, the time that we brought the company together. The compounded annual growth rate of Force has been very close to 60%. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's over, I think, about a six year period or so, which is really, really tremendous. And uh, I think, you know, we, we took the company public on the New York Stock Exchange last year in April. And uh, that's gone very, very nicely as well.
1: I mean, that's amazing. And you, David, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to. Really dig into a bit more, um, just just for the benefits of those who are listening today. Um, you talked about understanding what the culture was, and you found it was a culture of survival. Um, I'm wondering, as you were working to create this new value system, this core values, these new core values, how did you, or how do you encourage your executive team, and also the rest of the organization to really communicate these new core values of the company?
0: So we um, we took this very seriously. And uh, it, it starts, as I mentioned, with the brand promise and then the values surround the brand mm-hmm. promise. Think about the brand promise really as your bullseye. Uh, what we actually did is we did training of the executive team on it. We uh, created a book called Our Way. And our way captured internal and customer stories about how living our values had led to success. And we then obviously uh, took the book and we uh, uh, distributed it to all of our employees. We had value days when we would bring customers in. So, for example, customer focus is one of our values. Uh, We would bring a customer in, we still do, to each of our offices and have them speak about their experience with our products and services, so that the organization could do, de- develop a lot more empathy uh, for what the customers viewed as most important. And that was very, very important. Um, also, as part of the way we changed the culture as we started measuring employee engagement. And mm. we would do employee engagement surveys every six months. And we then would turn around the data and compile the results very quickly within a few weeks. And then we would share the results with the entire organization. And we were completely open about the issues that the employees felt that we had to resolve. And we would identify the top five uh, items that needed a priority. And for each of those, we would develop programs and communicate those programs out to the employees. And then three months later, we would report out how we were progressing against those programs aligned to the priorities that we had to Address, and and that became very very successful over a period of time. We were able to to, to dramatically improve our employee engagement scores, and you know from an external perspective, we look carefully at our glass door ratings. Back back in two thousand and twelve, we were somewhere under two, which is uh, you know very very difficult to get that low, mm-hmm. and to, today we're about 4.3, 4.4, which is very high. And our focus on kind of employee engagement uh, led to that. And as to the values, what we also did is we did value surveys that uh, kind of every three months, we would do a survey to determine if employees aligned to the actual values um, and if we had to tweak them in any ways, to re-communicate them in any ways, but also just to reinforce uh, who we were and what our brand promise
1: was. Talk to me about the length of the time it was to create this new brand promise, create these handbooks, and how long it took for the whole organization to really understand, live and breathe these core values that that the customers could feel it as well.
0: So, you know, Some of this is just tied to my journey. Uh, and I've been mm-hmm. an entrepreneur for quite some time. And it probably took me 20 years to really understand that uh, scaling an organization really requires this uh, emphasis on culture. And so um, in the early days, even of day force, we had developed a brand promise. And um, we had communicated out the brand promise. The bullseye was on every person's desk. And we, we were quite religious in making sure that people understood uh, who we were mm. and when we brought the two companies together with uh, Ceridian and day force, again, the, it, because of just my background, almost on day one, we started the exercise of doing the survey, understanding the current culture, developing the makes work life, a uh, better new, new brand promise, uh, printing out the bullseye, communicating the bullseye. And so for me, it was basically like, um, uh, you know, driving. You you're riding a bike. You you you. It's this is what you do when you're know, when you're forming a a, a a culture. So I would say probably within six months of the transaction, we had identified the bullseye. We were writing the actual book. At Our customer conference that year, we actually highlighted it. Uh, we handed it out. We had some material about the actual makes work life in our way as as a book. And we could see the the impact almost immediately. Uh, The Glassdoor School began improving right at the very start. And I would say within a year, we probably were in the falls. I remember this is quite a large organization. Yeah. About five different generations that work at the organization, uh, offices across the world and such.
1: I mean, that's a great story. And I love, and, and what I'm hearing right, David, is like, It it was sort of your ethos as well in terms of understanding this culture and and having that experience from day forest and and earlier experiences and companies that you've grown in scale. It helped you speed up that process, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, it was. It it wasn't something that uh, came naturally, uh, I would say, to me. Um, One of my board members at the time was a guy named Marty Goldfarb, and uh, this was Marty's thing. In fact, we used Marty to help us with the bullseye. And I also I had worked with Marty across two different companies, and it took me a couple of decades to really understand what Marty was saying and the impact it could have on an organization.
1: If you are enjoying the conversation that I'm having with David, and have any comments, questions, or anything related to something that we said, I would love to hear from you. Please join me on my Facebook group where I discuss this episode. I share daily insights, answer questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. I'm excited to see you there. Now let's get back to it. With Ceridian, as you mentioned, in the thousands of employees and the experience that you've had starting companies and growing, there's typically a, a tendency for organizations to become, quote-unquote, an institution that, where the culture, I guess, dampens inspiration. Do you have any insights or examples how, how you've kept this from happening?
0: So uh, when I think of Ceridian, I think of a technology company. I think about an innovator. And, um, if you, you know, if, if you know me as an individual, I'm really quite hands-on with the technology Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I demo it very frequently to to large groups. I attend the R&D meeting um, every two weeks where we review every department's uh, current sprints and what's in the current and next releases of the actual product. And um, that kind of technology focus from a leadership perspective really does keep the emphasis on the company being agile and being, being nimble and being able to stay ahead. Of the competitors in the space, and for us, we lead with our technology. Um, you know, if the, the the way we really entered it, when I was looking at the the industry back in 2010, uh, as I mentioned, I found the industry really attractive in terms of size, life of customer, and the potential for a platform play. But what I really needed was a vector to enter the industry, a way of differentiating. And the way I did that was through research. I um, observed payroll people, spoke to a lot of payroll people, and what was clear was that the workflow used by competing or traditional systems was not optimal. Effectively, the way that all uh, uh, payroll other payroll competitors work is that they have separation between time and attendance and payroll. Time and attendance is where you effectively clock in, clock out and where your regular and overtime and premium hours are calculated. And that would be in one system. Mm-hmm. And the data would reside in that time and attendance system for the duration of the pay period plus one day. So if you were on a two-week pay period, for 15 days, the payroll people wouldn't be able to view the data, audit the data, enter in adjustments. Instead, they would have to wait until the end of the pay period, wait for the supervisors to approve the time, and then the data would be exported and imported into the payroll system. And only then would the payroll system be able to calculate the data, reconcile it with time and attendance. And then the payroll people would only have a very short window, about a day, to do everything that they required to do before they would have to fund the payroll. And, and that wasn't enough time. In fact, payroll people used to tell me that they commit pay when they... Ran out of time, not when they were ready. So the idea, oh, wow. so the idea we had in 2010 was, well, why don't we just combine time and attendance and payroll and HR and benefits into one? So there's one database, one rule engine, and any time any data changes, whether it's a punch in, punch out, or an HR record change, we could recalculate the net earnings. And if we did that, we could radically change the workflow for the users. You know, make work life much better for them. And that became kind of the genesis of Dayforce, and it's been hugely successful. You know, since um, we released the product in probably 2013, we've taken live um, over uh, uh, over um, uh, 3,700 customers. And as I mentioned, the growth rate's really been tremendous. Uh, last year, last quarter, the uh, growth rate was, I believe, about 38%. Uh, year over year. So we're very, very happy with the results and it kind of comes back down to that emphasis on technology, on innovation.
1: With um, this emphasis uh, of developing this new culture of innovation, I mean, you talk about this a lot. Can you share how you or within your management team encourage creative thinking now within the organization?
0: Well, uh, to me, I think the the, what normally kills innovation is uh, too many layers in an organization and too many meetings. Mm. Um, and instead, we take an approach of where we keep the focus on the customer, keep the focus on the product. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm very knowledgeable with the product. I'm able to demo it to uh, you know, you know, very technical uh, degrees, and I expect that of the management team as well. And by keeping that emphasis on the actual product, uh, it it, it can make sure that the technology is prioritized. And then the second piece is that we spend a lot of time with our customers. Uh, So probably about 20 25% of my time is really going around and I meet customers and I have dinners with the customers. And I continually ask them what they would like in the product and how we can improve. And that's very uh, uh, impactful. And the third is is that we use a lot of technology to get feedback from customers. We use a a product called Aha, which allows our customers to really suggest new features for the product and to Mm -hmm. collaborate with other users of the product and convert the ideas up and down. And we use that to prioritize what goes into our next sprints and our next releases.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. I've read, David, in the past where you had this mind shift in terms of your focus, and you mentioned it real quickly at the top about keeping your employees happy um, by providing them all the resources and tools they need to be successful. I'd love it if you could share how this has translated to the over-success of your current business, Heridian, and also the companies you ran in the past.
0: So look, it, it's been an evolution for me. Um, in my, my first company I had sold to a uh, a bank it did a risk management and pricing for for commercial banks. And at the time, the company was me, and I, I had the belief that um, you know if you were a maverick, you would be very successful. Mm-hmm. And every company I've had uh, since that uh, has obviously grown bigger. Uh, But what became very clear to me was that you cannot scale a company with Mavericks. Uh, It it comes down to having that culture and that purpose that draws people together. And then you have to have very strong leadership. And it took me a while to learn this as well. Leadership is not about telling people what to do. Uh, Rather, it is understanding who's on your team and what the goals are for each of the members of your team. And if you're a good manager, you should meet with each of your people on a very regular basis, and you should make sure that they are working towards their personal goals, and you should be an advocate for them. And if you do that, you land up with a wonderful team and very high engagement, and you land up with a very good organization, and people stay within the organization. And so that, that was a bit of a learning, and um, within that serene, we, we really try and enforce that. One of the measures that I would focus on would be your uh, regrettable turnover. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a good organization, you typically want to be under 5%. And Ceridians uh, is exceptional from that regard. And that comes down from really enforcing this idea uh, that managers are the advocates of their teams.
1: Being in the technology forefront, um, David, I'd love to get some of your thoughts and insights about the future of work, specifically how leaders, managers um, will manage em- the employee experience with the rise of, you know, the distributed workforces, new innovations and technologies like, like AI. Where do you see the work of uh, the future of work going?
0: So when, when I think about the future of work, I think there's going to be a distribution shift between Uh, People who work for themselves and people who work for organizations, which is uh, one trend that we see uh, happening already. And uh, the second piece as well, because there are technologies like Dayforce, and again, uh, Dayforce is differentiated in that it has this continuous calculation engine, which means that if I clock in for a day and clock out for a day, when I clock out, the system has calculated my net earnings. And in fact, within day force, we allow you now to access those earnings. So you can do what we call on-demand pay. You don't have to wait until the end of the pay period. Mm -hmm. That capability really does allow people, even who are working for other organizations, to augment their pay uh, by finding part-time work or shift work uh, at other organizations, working the shift and getting paid almost Mm -hmm. immediately. And so I think you're going to see changes in the way that people are paid. I think there's going to be a movement away from those weekly or bi-weekly or bi-monthly payroll cycles to you you, you work a day, you've earned the money, you should be you should be able to access your net earnings. I think that's one change. Um, I think there is going to be a shift to more of the uh, gig workforce or the uh, independent contractor workforce, and technologies again like us. Uh, will allow organizations to determine how much the person is owed and at the same time uh, pay people with inside all the various and very complex regulatory uh, uh, requirements that, have, that are at the state and at the, uh, the, the provincial federal levels. Uh, so you can make sure that you're paying the, the, the correct uh, SUI and you're paying the correct WCB and minimum wage rates and overtime rates and all, all, all of that. Um and then obviously, there is going to be a change with AI uh, or the use of other types of predictive technologies that I- in some ways, predictive tech um, can do a certain task today better than I think people can do themselves, uh, things that have to do with things like uh, image recognition and things and and, and, and etc. And as those technologies keep evolving, Uh, Obviously, there can be certain job functions that might be impacted, but at the same token, I think there'll be other opportunities created, particularly around servicing uh, of people that that will become present. I
1: mean, it's definitely a fascinating time when we are thinking about all these things. And David, you being within that center, in terms of the technology that enables a lot of this, um... Do you have like how do you manage your team or your management team thinking about that as well as maybe your organization might have to evolve in managing this new type of workforce? Uh, Has have you gone into any thinking about that or thoughts?
0: Well, we're very focused on kind of the gig workforce and different technologies such as a digital wallet and uh, on-demand pay, which we believe are going to become tenants of the, the the future of work. And so we have R&D teams and product teams uh, very focused on delivering those types of solutions. In fact, uh, within Ceridian, we now offer our own employees on-demand pay, uh, mm-hmm. you know, using the, the day force application. So we've, uh, we've adjusted to that. Uh, in terms of predictive technologies, we have a large customer service organization. And so we're now are beginning to use various types of bot technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the Dayforce platform as well, uh, we've taken advantage of the advances in uh, natural language processing tech, so all the various voice platforms, uh, You know, whether it be Google, whether it be uh, Alexa or Cortana. Uh, and on our mobile apps now, you, we have uh, the Dayforce Assistant, which is a voice-powered uh, bot. So you can actually now uh, use the, the Dayforce app and you can say, uh, hey, Dayforce, when's my next shift? Uh, hey, Dave Force, uh, can I trade my shift with someone? Uh, hey, Dave Force, can I take a, 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 a time off on Friday? And the, the system comes back with a, a, you know, a proper answer. So if I say, can I trade my shift? Um, it will come back and say, these are the people most likely to accept. So there's an you know, a, 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 a engineer that determines what the person is trying to do and where it, where it needs to go. Uh, so it's it, we're very you know thoughtful about the future of work um, both in the delivery of our products, the use of those new technologies in our products, but also in changing our own organization.
1: That's really cool. I, I love that you're you're talking to your own uh, products now yourself within your own organization. Um, David, what advice would you give to those who are currently looking to growing their their executive or leadership team?
0: So that's actually a a more of a challenging question than what most people imagine. Um, Leadership is, leadership changes based on the size of the organization. Mm -hmm. And what I found in the past is that uh, uh, leaders who are able to scale companies, say, to the $100 million level may not be the right team to go to the $500 million level. And those people who might be tremendously successful at the $500 million level may not be able to um, develop the structure and the processes and the the scale required to go to the billion-dollar level. And so if you're building out your leadership team, you you have to be very uh, uh, cognizant about finding the right person for the scale of organization that you're at. Um, and I made this mistake uh, years ago when I, I had a, a prior company. And that prior company, you know, it did very well. We went from a zero to about $100 million in about three years. And uh, we had some VC funding in the early part. And the VCs had insisted that we hire a very experienced uh, EVP of marketing. And we hired uh, a person from IBM. And the person, although very, very capable, wasn't the right fit for the size of the organization at the time. At the time, we were just a few million dollars. And um, we we kind of made corrections uh, about the organization and we we were able to be successful. But that was an example where we hired an exceptionally uh, 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 capable person, but just not the right person for the size of organization that we were at. And so when you're building out your leadership team for every hire, make sure that you are bringing in the best person that you can find for the scale that you are. Uh, The second uh, piece of advice about leadership is that there is a difference between a exceptionally competent individual contributor and a a, a good manager. And, and sometimes good managers do not become, uh, sorry, good individual contributors do not become uh, managers. And as you're promoting people to that role, you have to make sure that they are making that transition properly. And if not, you have to make adjustments.
1: That's great. Fun, fun question, David. If I were to ask any of your teams, it could be past or present, colleagues, stakeholders, peers, What's the best leadership quality that David possess? What do you think they would say?
0: Uh, Again, a difficult question. Um, You know, from my perspective, I would say I'm just very persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, In in other words, um, if there's a project, uh, if there's a customer, uh, if there's an issue, I, I, I will stick on it until it comes to resolution. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of energy to do that.
1: So what else, David? Do you have any other special projects, initiatives, or it could be something fun, another mountain that you're looking to climb, something that you're really excited about and looking forward to?
0: Well, you know, the continual expansion of Ceridian, something that we find very exciting, Uh, continued growth of the organization, uh, the use of the newer predictive techs inside the actual product, and also the work that we're doing around the gig economy are all uh, pretty exciting.
1: Before we end, David, any final thoughts, observations? Ideally, what would we like to do is have any, anything that you could share that gives you know, an actionable recommendation to the emerging business leaders that are listening today.
0: The one piece of advice I would give is if you are scaling an organization, you cannot overemphasize focus. Uh, t- I, I often I see uh, companies that are scaling that take on too many disparate uh, projects. And if the projects don't align well together, you aren't going to get scale. If you don't get scale, uh, you're not going to be able to grow your company. And so just making sure that you are really, really focused. Uh, the second piece of advice is just on really understanding your addressable market. And if you're looking to grow a large organization, it's very, very important that you select a market where the addressable market is exceptionally large. In other words, you're looking for a, a addressable market, preferably in the tens of billions of dollars. Uh, and the last piece would be uh, tied to both of those, which is uh, focus your company on the largest addressable market that can be solved simply so that it can uh, apply to everyone and that you can get uh, efficiencies and grow the business profitably. In other words, don't choose the most difficult problem. Choose the simplest problem that you can solve for the most amount of customers.
1: That's great. Thank you for sharing. To close, David, can you tell us where we can find more information about you, Ceridian, or anything else you'd like to share with us today?
0: Yeah, well, uh, Ceridian, obviously, our website is uh, ceridian.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at the OSSIP, so i uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well as David OSSIP. Uh, and happy, uh, obviously, to hear from anyone.
1: David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks
0: very, very much.
1: That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 103 with David Osep. If you want to learn more about David, Ceridian, or anything else that we discuss, please go to the slash 103. Join me on my Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. And lastly, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.